Hello, my name is Josh. I'm Jamie. And welcome to our Conversation with Two Geeks, the podcast where we talk about movies, comics, and everything in between. Today, we have a special guest. We have Academy Award winner, Mark Andrews. He is the director and screenwriter of such films as Disney Pixar's Brave. Um, Mark will be joining us as we discuss this week's news from the continued Warner Media crisis to the Loki showrunner writing the Kevin Feige produced Star Wars movie and much more. So, yay! Yeah. Also, please give us a follow on all our social media pages. We're on Twitter at Convo with Two Geeks. That's with the number two. We're on Instagram and Facebook at Conversation with Two Geeks. And also, if you feel like shooting us an email about anything we said in this episode or any previous episodes, we're at Conversation with Two Geeks at gmail.com. And they'll leave a link to our Anchor homepage that has the links to all of these in the show notes. You can also listen to our back catalog on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and wherever podcasts are listened to. How's everyone doing this week? Awesome. Yeah. Considering. Considering, <laughs> um, yeah. Do we the whole thing. do we even want to discuss what happened this week? You know, besides all the entertainment stuff. No. No. Okay. Let's all not. right. Okay. Let's 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 not do that. All right. That's <laughs> being. It's all being handled, which is great. So it's being yeah. handled, and you know. Yeah. It will continue to be handled as we go along here. So. Yeah. Anyways, let's get into some lighter topics so yeah Yeah, it's yeah anyway so um for our first topic we have the continued today we'll be talking about the continued chronicles of the warner media crisis or as i like to call it uh the continued chronicles of warner media's dumbass decision making um exclusive from the rap reported that warner brothers and production and production company legendary entertainment might be nearing a deal to release one of their two movies godzilla versus kong godzilla versus kong therefore preventing a legal fight between the studios because for those that don't remember, um, Legendary was deadly thinking about suing Warners because they essentially blocked them from like getting back most of their budget because Netflix offered them a $250 million deal in the movie. Mm-hmm. Now, as for their second film, Dune, negotiations are still in progress with the ensemble cast uh, negotiating with the studio regarding payment and Denise Villeneuve, the director, pushing for a theatrical release, release with Legendary backing him. However, it should be noted that should Warner Warner's grant Dune the theatrical window, this could also lead to other filmmakers demanding the same treatment. For example, Lana Wachowski, the director of the upcoming Matrix 4, is adamant about an exclusive theater run. So yeah, how do we all feel about that? This whole pandemic has made it very tricky, and it's obvious that it's going to affect payment for people with not getting the theatrical runs, because it's where they make a lot of big, especially these bigger movies, make a lot of their money. Mm -hmm. So it's just very... The legendary entertainment versus Warner's is going to be interesting with um, Godzilla versus Kong. I don't know. Be interesting to see. Especially given that everything is, um, it's it's interesting. And I just, if they didn't make this dumbass move, sorry, I'm, I'm going to call it what it is. It was a dumbass move. And again, mm-hmm. maybe inform the directors, but they didn't. And instead decided, let's put, put everything on there. Especially when you have directors that like Wanakowski that are probably adamant about exclusive theater run. Now, granted, again, we're still in a pandemic, but, you know, we have vaccines coming up and stuff, and it's it's a whole thing. Uh, Mark, what are your thoughts on this? Well, it gets really uh, tricky, and it's a dynamic situation, I think. I mean, the pandemic has thrown all the entertainment industry into disarray, you know, uh, you know, movies, everything, um, uh, anything that we're going to go out, uh, theme parks, you know, mm-hmm. sports, uh, you know, everything's kind of on this weird kind of hold, so... How does a company, if they don't necessarily have their their war chest in reserve, sitting on a big bank of money, right, mm-hmm. keeping all the people around that they got to pay 
to stay around to mm -hmm. continue to develop things that are going to come out in the future, you know, without having with the spigots turned off mm -hmm. and not getting anything incoming, how can you keep th that ball running? So I think there's, and there's still uncertainty, you know, about COVID and the vaccines and how long mm -hmm. it's going to get us to reach herd immunity where we can get back to a type of normalcy. Um, mm -hmm. Again, I mean, it's going to be a whole nother year of this, you know, uh, and, and very slow moving. If, if this last year has taught us anything, you know, people can't even stick to mass social distancing, don't eat re restaurants, you know, and we keep getting back into these huge spikes. I mean, it's worse now than it was back in March when it first started. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. that to me is just like a, you know, a big sign of, you know, Warner's, you know, legendary, you know, these directors, yes, of course they want a, a theatrical one. We want to be in the theaters because we want to see it mm -hmm. big. It's this, mm -hmm. this kind of entertainment, but at the end of the day, you know, do you hold off until 2022, 23? Do you make sure that you can get that theatrical run? And then what are you doing in the meantime? You know, people mm -hmm. want to see it. Yeah, They'll so pay to see it. Yes. So drop it in on streaming. My TV is fairly big. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a hit, but these are these those kinds of things that it's, you know, it's kind of like in any wartime situation is that, you know, there are shortages and you have to deal with the shortages. And unfortunately it's shortage of being together, <laughs> right? Yeah. And being, being in these communities and that really blows. So I, I, you know, my head's, my head's spinning with, you know, how, how you can keep the ball running and have some kind of income trickling in to be able to even make more stuff and keeping the actors and everybody safe. Right. Mm -hmm. That's, that's hard. Yeah, it it is, and you do, and you do raise up a good point, especially when we, especially with like, for example, Wonder Woman just coming out and Soul mm -hmm. just coming out, and those actually doing well, fair fairly well, both in terms of like box office wise as well as on streaming wise. Although Wonder Woman, it might be a bit of more of a difficult situation, but we won't talk about that. All right? Yeah, I mean, it's tricky because you don't have those box office receipts, but you're getting you're getting some kind of box office, you know, whether it's 1999 for the viewing every time you view it, you know, and, and they don't let you buy it. So you can't own it for 1999. You know, I, I think there's a lot of tricky things. I was talking to a, a friend of mine who's a producer in Hollywood. We were talking about this very thing that as we're pushing out into the year, um, movies are going to be slowly opening up but i think there's a there's these opportunities that you you do that double release thing where you release it on streaming and in some theater venues and this may ultimately change our theater venue i mean mm. there are places in london i know there's places in la and major cities where you're not going to a theater where it's 100 seats or 200 seats mm -hmm. with the big screen you could go into a place where there's only 15 to 30 seats Mm -hmm. And they bring you wine and drinks and food and you have a larger screen that's in your TV. But, you know, these are venues that you can charge a premium for mm -hmm. uh, your your tickets. And that could be a whole new opportunity, right, of our theater experience is going to change. You know, yeah. I can see those popping up in the future here. One theater that definitely came to mind. I don't know if you've been here or not, Mark. Uh, Alamo Draft House. Yeah, yeah, I've been in a draft house before. It's that type, but think that type of thing scaled down even more, mm. you know, at the basements of hotels and stuff. I mean, London has um, tons of these little theaters attached to their hotels that, you know, during, you know, BAFTAs or whatever season, you know, uh, they have screenings, you know, like they have an LA of, of films for, for their Academy members. But this can be open up to anybody, you know, so you could get your tickets online and say it's 30 bucks 
you know, and you go in, but they're bringing you a menu and you get to order off the menu and that's part of the price. And <laughs> they bring it to you as you're watching the movie in your fake giant living room, you know, so there's not too many people in there that's better, better, better ventilated and stuff, you know, um, yeah. because it can't stay down forever. Yeah, right? it, yeah, mm-hmm. definitely can't. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, nobody's it, gonna survive. Survive. Yeah, you know? yeah, it. Yeah, no, not def- definitely. Yeah, I, I didn't even know about the thing in London. Like that's actually that's actually kind of low key cool. Yeah, no, it's yeah. it's really it's really awesome, and and they could be they could be anywhere. You know, mm-hmm. um, any any club you know that has a space can the projectors, the t- throw projectors that are right against the wall. I mean, the, the technology exists out there that you can have really awesome sound with a really brilliant picture and a small venue just for a few people. So the chances of, I mean, if you look at the statistics on the website about COVID, um, there's a great kind of computer system that you put in, you type in how many people, how long are we going to be together? What's the space difference? You know, kind of what are you doing? Mm -hmm. And it tells you how long you can be together and sitting in a smaller theater, you know, spaced out, for a two-hour movie, your chances of getting it are highly, highly, you know, if everybody's wearing a mask, are highly, uh, uh, very low, you know? So yeah. it's like, okay, that mitigates the risk, and I still get my, I am out and seeing it with a, a type of community, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And, and then that, I could go home again. Yeah, and yeah, and that's the most thing. I think just for me personally, I've missed that a lot since Oh, yeah, I have too. Yeah, yeah, I have too. There's just a nice energy and a buzz that you're yeah. away from your house, you know, and you're in, oh, yes. you're into a place that's, that's focusing you, you know, I mean, yeah. we're watching movies at home with my, my family, you know, and it's like, can we pause it? I need to go to the bathroom. I'm all, this doesn't happen in real life. You're going to miss yeah. something. I'm not positive for you, kid. <laughs> but, uh, or it's like, you know, I'll pause it if I want to go get a snack or something. And it's like, God damn it. I got to make some tea. Pause yeah. it. But uh, it's, it's, um, we've set up so that we have a, we have a, our nights are very much about viewing, right? And we're all in that, because we do our different things during the day in the house, kind of separated, you know, schools or work, whatnot. Um, We're still all together, Mm -hmm. but removed. So there is uh, an organic community that we're doing that's just us, you know? Yeah. Anyways, moving on to our next topic. According to Hollywood Reporter, Marvel Studios has snagged indie horror directors Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead to direct episodes of the upcoming Disney Plus show Moon Knight alongside Egyptian director Mohamed Dai, with Dai set to direct a sizable chunk of the episodes and Umbrella Academy uh, creator Jeremy Slate leading the show's writing team as showrunner. And in addition to this, it has now been confirmed, ladies and gentlemen, that Oscar Isaac will indeed be playing the role of Mark Spector, aka Moonlight. We also got a synopsis. Uh, the action adventure features a complex vigilante who suffers from disassociative identity disorder. The multiple identities who live inside him are distinct characters who appear against the backdrop of Egyptian iconography. The show is expected to start shooting in March in Budapest. How do we all feel? Oscar Eyes. Yeah, because we heard about this. When was it? Jamie, when did we hear first hear about this? It was a little while ago. October? I think so. That It was October where we started to hear like he was in talks at least. But now it's been official. I love Oscar Isaac, so I'm excited. It's, like, it's really good, and I'm excited. I like to see him in, in a lot of stuff. Yeah. Plus, I saw uh, the tweets. I, th- I think I saw one of the tweets from one of the directors, and I've, I've actually looked at some of their trailers for some of their movies, and I'm not going to lie, they look really trippy, and I'm really excited. Uh, Mark, how do you feel about this news? Are you? I love, I, love, I love all this. I think it's super exciting. I think they got a you know an awesome crew, you know, um, with Daib and and Benson and Moorhead, you know, and um, 
you know, Jeremy Slate for Umbrella Academy. I'm a big, huge, my whole family's big Umbrella Academy uh, fan. So we just love that second mm-hmm. season and first season. Um, so I think that's a, it's going to be super event, especially for Moon Knight, that character. I mean, he is bonkers. And to see him pushed, you know, uh, in this venue for a series is just going to be fantastic. And Isaac's perfect. Oscar's going to knock it out of the park. So I'm, I'm very thrilled. Uh, Moon Knight's one of my favorite of the Marvel characters because of his, you know, personality disorder that he's going through, which is just amazing um, to think about. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to this, and I can't wait for it. Anyways, um, moving on. So, Deadline has reported that the CW has elected not to move forward with the Arrowverse. Um, Arrow, Arrow spinoff, uh, Green Arrow and the Canaries, originally a backdoor pilot that aired during Arrow's final season. The spinoff would have followed the daughter of uh, Oliver Queen, played by um, Stephen Amell, or Stephen Amell's Olive. Cat. Yeah, played by um, Mia Queen, that's her name, played by Catherine mm-hmm. Mignara of, um, what was it? What was the show she was in? Um, the Shadowhunters. Shadowhunters, yes, thank you. Uh, yeah. As she joined forces with Earth 2, Laura Lance, slash Black Siren, played by uh, Katie Cassidy and Diana Lant- Diana Drake. I almost got that wrong. Played <laughs> by, okay. by Julie- Juliana Harkey and Fight Crime in 2040 Star City, Black- back in May. Uh, CW President Mark Edowitz said about this and a potential 100 spinoff. They are very much in active discussions to see what we can do. I have had discussions with Warner Brothers. We have a strategy involved. Hopefully we can pull it off. According to Deadline co-editor-in-chief Nelly Enriva, who wrote this article, the neck word and the studio explore the idea of the Green Arrow and the Canaries and the 100 prequel running jointly on the CW and Warner Brothers HBO Max. However, the cast contracts ended last year. So yeah, um, how do you feel about this news, Jamie? Listen, yes. I'm a huge yeah. Arrowverse fan mm-hmm. and I've liked a lot of their shows. I, Arrow was not my first show though. So I don't have as big of a connection to Arrow. Um, I think since we didn't get con- confirmation in May, I felt like it was not gonna happen even though I really wanted to, because I did like Mia, Oliver's daughter. I liked that character, and I thought there was a lot of potential there um, and stuff. Uh, I'm not surprised, though, because I'm surprised it took him this long to say that mm-hmm. it's not happening, because yeah. I feel like it's been in limbo for a long time. So yes. I'm not that surprised anymore that it's not happening. So I'm for the cast, but that's... Yeah, I was... Um, I'm also a fan of the Arrowverse, although with me, with my relationship with Arrow, is that I dropped off, like, after season three, mm-hmm. and I only really came back for, like, season eight, because it was, like, a 10-episode epilogue to The Crisis on Infinity Earth, which happened on season yeah. Um, But, yeah, no, I had a feeling that this was probably not going to go through, especially given how we're kind of in a really interesting post-Arrowverse world, especially with the rise of HBO Max, the Titansverse, which includes Titans, Doom Patrol, all that, that etc., and just everything going on. I had a feeling that this probably wasn't going to be going through, but yeah. yeah. I think once they announced the Superman show, mm-hmm. I think they put a lot of their efforts into that show mm-hmm. and were wanting to really focus on that. So yeah. I'm not that surprised. So, cause they added that and then they're having to do with Batwoman and all that stuff going on. Yeah. So I feel like, I feel like they, unfortunately Green Air and the Canaries kind of got put on the back burner. So yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, uh, Mark, do you have any input on this? I know. I, no, are you I familiar with any of the Arrowverse? Or I am. I am. I am. Oh, okay. I think, Sweet. I, I, and I think that the you know they're slate what they're what everybody's trying to do. You know, there's there comes that time where you kind of naturally kind of finish something or wind something down, and 
you've got a new new thing that you want to do. And I, and I think, you know, it all comes down to resources. You know, you can't keep mm-hmm. everything going at the yeah. level or at the height. You're going to have to do some trade-offs to get the next thing going. I think Marvel is going to be the next, you know, with Disney Plus. I mean, it's all starting off, but they're mm-hmm. going to have to keep switching and finding stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, stuff will run for a little bit and you got to turn it off. So you give room to the other, other mm-hmm. thing. Um, yeah. just because they don't have deep, deep, deep pockets, a lot, a lot of yeah. these places. So they're going to have to trade, trade up, uh, uh, trade things. So it's, it gets tricky again, you know, for the studios, I would not want to be a studio exec making these kind of decisions because it's, it's really hard. Yeah. yeah, most definitely. Yeah. I imagine it probably is, but yeah. Anyways, moving on to our next topic. According mm-hmm. to Deadline, Paramount Pictures have um, the rights to the Monty Python musical Spamalot and are adapting the musical for the silver screen. For those that are unfamiliar, Spamalot is a musical comedy adapted from the 1975 film Monty Python Holy Grail. Like the film, it's a parody of The Legend of King Arthur. However, it differs in many ways. Written by former member Eric Idle and directed by the late Mike uh, Nichols, who directed also The Graduate and, Who Afraid, and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. The musical first premiered on Broadway in 2005, receiving 14 Tony Award nominations and winning three, including Best Musical. As for the film adaptation, the project originally started at Fox, but switched hands following the acquisition of the company in 2017 by Disney. Uh, the pro- now, it's, um, now it's a Paramount. The project will be directed by Casey Nicola. Nicola? who was the choreographer of the original Broadway production, whose credits include The Book of Mormon, Aladdin, Mean Girls, Netflix, The Prom, among others, with a script set to be written by Idol. The plan is to move right to casting and get underway this year. Okay, Mark, have you seen Spamalot? I'm curious. Oh, yeah, I loved it. I love Spamalot. It's a, it's a great show. It's fantastic. And I heard this news. I mean, my first reaction was like, what the hell? Why? <laughs> um, I mean... <laughs> The, the cool thing about these musicals is, is the format that you're getting it, you know? Um, uh, I'm sure you guys remember Les Mis when they brought that to the silver screen. And oh, it was we, the whole I, Les Mis. And I thought, you know, I was, my first reaction was, what the hell? But it was, it was pretty entertaining, you mm-hmm. know, uh, to watch that. Uh, um, it doesn't hold the same thing that the live kind of theater experience does because you have that buzz in the room, you know? It's mm-hmm. like listening to your favorite band on in the car, you know, on, on disc or whatnot, uh, uh, versus seeing them live, you know, or or a video of them. I mean, it's, it's fun, but you're removed. So they've been doing this, you know, cats, uh, you know, Oh, Oh, Oh oh God, cats. Sorry. They've been doing this thing recently where they're finding these musicals and bring them to the silver screen, you know, Hamilton, aren't they doing Hamilton Mm -hmm. like that? You know, it's like, uh, okay. So, But yeah. it's it's almost a no-brainer to a certain yeah. point of view because mm-hmm. the people who've seen it are going to see it. The people who love Monty Python who haven't seen Spam a lot because mm-hmm. they can't get out to New York or wherever it's playing. They didn't catch it when it came to their big city. Yeah, They get to yeah. see this. And there's things that you could do on screen that you can't do on stage because mm-hmm. you have the camera jumping around that you can have a, you know, a little bit more fun and, and, mm-hmm. and be playful and expose you know areas or have aside moments that you wouldn't necessarily catch on stage so it's a blend of of medium so it becomes its own thing suddenly which has been an interesting trend over the last 10 years yeah most definitely and one thing i also do want to note um at least one of the reasons why because i'm gonna be honest with you i'm one of those people that haven't i've seen monty python holy grail i haven't seen spam a lot 
because you know I um I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you I've only seen like a couple Broadway shows in my life one of them being Mamma Mia one of them being and this isn't what the and this isn't the official one but Hamilton when it premiered at the Orpheum wow so when it premiered at the Orpheum so I didn't get to see the Lynn version but I got to see a version at least hey that's a good version I saw that one at the Orpheum we took the uh, family it was amazing it yeah. was still amazing yes so. yes that being said, I will say, mm. uh, I, I haven't gotten to see Hamilton live, but I was a big, big, big fan. And I'm glad that they had it on Disney Plus mm-hmm. just so some we can at least see it. I know it's not the same thing. I would have loved to see it live, but I'm glad that there's a way where people who can't go see it can actually see it in some way. Yeah, and now we get to get into visual storytelling and enhance the stuff that was happening on the stage so you can, mm-hmm. you can go further. I mean, Steven Spielberg's doing you know west side, story. Uh, west side story you know it's like yeah. when i first heard that i'm all what why and i'm like oh i get it this yeah. is a new thing it's putting two different mediums together um mm-hmm. and it's it's been working you know mm-hmm. for the most part uh there's a lot of interesting things that happens with it and people that have been hearing stuff about these things all the time that have never seen or experienced it will at least get some kind of taste and at the end of the day it's that story you know, yeah. that gets to the audience, so. Yeah, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I think also another reason why I'm, car- why I'm a bit excited is because Ida will be writing the script as well as the fact that literally the director was the choreographer of the original Broadway production. Yeah. Which, and, and again, also looking at his cards, like Book of Mormon, Aladdin, Mean Girls, Netflix is the prom. This guy sounds like he's, um, Nicola sounds like he's kind of the perfect choice. Yeah, the challenge with these things is the audience becomes a part of the show, especially in Spamalot. They break the fourth wall constantly. How do you do that to that uh, satisfaction in, uh, you know, a movie? You don't, you don't. It's going to be a different pivot, you know, yeah. which is going to be weird. Yeah, most definitely. That actually leads into to our next topic. Um, so and according to an exclusive from The Hollywood Reporter, we, uh, No Time to Die act- and Captain Marvel actress Lasana Lynch is in final negotiations to join the cast of the feature adaptation of the musical Matilda for Netflix. So the musical is based on the Royal Donald classic about a precocious and gifted five-year-old who uses her powers of telekinesis to overcome bullies, including her family, her school principal, and protect her friends. The book was adapted into a film, which I love, in 1996, mm-hmm. starring Mara Wilson and directed by Dane DeVito. Lynch will be playing Miss Honey, the kindly teacher that encourages Matilda and her gifts. Betty Davis played the role in the 1996 feature film of the same name. I'm, I, I forgot that this was a thing, and I'm kind of excited. <laughs> I didn't know this was a thing. This is pretty cool. Because I, when I rewatch that movie, I always really love it. It's so good. Yeah. Oh, I'm you guys got to see the stage play. The stage play is the best thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh, <laughs> it's really? amazing. Yeah. We got to see it in London. Um, um, you know, took the kids and everybody. Uh, mm-hmm. And it just blew blew my mind because I'd seen the Danny DeVito one. It's like, oh yeah, this is weird. It's and eh, It was okay. But this... It, it was really close to the book and they just brought everything out because it is a period, you know, it is a time mm-hmm. period for, uh, for this, you know, back in that 60s, you know, 70s uh, era, uh, you know, in England, you know, specifically, you know, with these, this orphanage and these, you know, school kids and it was just, and the music, the music, it just blows, blows you away. So good. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, this, actually hearing some of that actually 
so when it comes to the nineteen eighty six film, there were certain things in that movie, and I realized the because it's been a while since I've since I've read the book as well. I forgot that it was set in that was originally set in London. Yeah, it actually makes certain things actually make a lot more sense. Yeah, yeah, like the whole school principal thing. Like apparently she was like a head a headmaster or something, yeah. and it, that was that kind of went over my head as a kid. And I was like, okay, and I just accepted. But now it's like, oh crap, okay, that actually makes a lot more <laughs> sense than it should, but. Yeah, apparently yeah. it does. So yeah, um, well, there's and there's a little bit more, you know, kind of uh, Monty Python esque, wink wink, nudge nudge, in the actual performance of these things because it's 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 over the top. Some of these messages and the songs, mm-hmm. but it really gets emotional. And you know, I'm not going to give it away for anybody who doesn't know anything about it. But it has a great climax uh, mm-hmm. that just that just is a arrow to your heart you know and and the waterworks start going on i said i'm a father and i have kids and it Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. as a parent it it hits you in a different way i think um Mm -hmm. uh that story because i think all of uh raul dahl's books are like that it's about uh you know a child growing up you know and what they have to face in a world that's telling them what to be what to do how to do it Mm -hmm. and he knew you know, uh, he knew, and I, as I think um, Mr. Rogers knew, that this isn't, it isn't cookie cutter, right? Mm-hmm. Our world can't be cookie cutter. Everybody is, is in, an individual. There's a lot of things that bring us together that we experience together that's relatable, but we can't keep treating everybody uh, uh, the same, right? There mm-hmm. are, everybody gets a kind of a benefit of the doubt and has to be looked at and, and encouraged to find their own path, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of fit into a set regime. And as a parent growing, you know, raising kids, it's like, yeah, like that's what we have to do. So it gets emotional and it's fantastic. It's just beautiful, beautiful mm-hmm. story. Now I have to look into finding copies of the musical because Jesus Christ, you, oh, just yeah. sold me, you just sold me on the musical, dude. Oh yeah, it was, it was traveling around. I don't know where it is. It is over here, I believe. Yeah. So if there's a chance for anybody out there listening to go see it, if it's near your town or what i mean now in covid nothing's playing <laughs> but when they start touring again um you know in a year uh, trying to catch a uh, trying to catch it i think there there may be something where they've done it um we we've been watching uh you know the royal shakespeare academy and you know um, oh, yeah, stuff guys. over in london they've been showing um they've been streaming plays because they film all their plays so we saw we saw um oh my gosh what is his name um, um, was it Fan of the Opera? Because I know they've been streaming that. No, no. We saw Cyrano de Bergerac with um, the actor uh, who plays Magneto now in the X-Men. Michael Fassbender. No. The oh. other, other he plays, oh, sorry, not Magneto. Professor Xavier. Yeah. You oh, James McAvoy. Um, Mac- uh, James McAvoy as Wait, Cyrano. You, you've and watched, it's a, oh, mm, yeah, sorry. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. So we've been watching a lot of plays uh, uh that are streamed out of uh, England from the theater houses over there that they mm-hmm. that they offer that anybody can go and watch. So I, I think Matilda's out there somewhere too, but yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, hopefully. Anyways, moving on to our next topic. So this one kind of gave me a nostalgia, and I'll, I'll talk about why in a second. But according to Deadline, IMDb TV, Amazon's free ad-supported streaming service, is developing a TV series adaptation of the 2005 film. Lords of Dogtown with Sony Pictures Television and The Shield's creator Sean Ryan's production company McKid Productions producing it. Uh, for those that don't know the movie, it was directed by a pre-Twilight Catherine Hardwick and released 
by Columbia Pictures and TriStar Pictures, which would be the only film distributed by both Sony branches. The original film star Heath Ledger, Emil Harish, Michael Angarino. Um, by the way, he was Will from Sky High. America Fiera, Sofia Vergara. Yes, she's in this movie. And Johnny Knoxville's and follow a group of skateboarders called the Z-Boys living in 1970s Santa Monica. The new series will be helmed by Catherine Chandler, a writer, director, as well as a showrunner slash executive producer on Ava DuVernay's Queen Sugar and will center on a hell-raising teenage girl growing up in the foster care system who falls in with a crowd of skaters who ideal oh, idolize the famed Zepra skateboard team. I, oh my God, when this news first hit, I immediately just, because I remember the marketing for this movie. And keep in mind, I was only about six. Um, and it was just like, just the marketing and stuff just was attached. And I relook at the trailer and they had like a cover of a Green Day. I think they had um, Boulevard of Broken Dreams in the trailer. And I just, I don't know, this kind of gave me a weird nostalgia for the early 2000s. Uh, Jamie, what are your thoughts on this? I, I think this is pretty cool. I, I'm trying to remember if I've seen this. It sounds familiar, um, but I mean, that's pretty cool. I'm. It sounds good. It sounds interesting. Um, Amazon's been doing pretty good of their original streaming lately with um, the Wilds and the Boys and stuff like that. Like they've had some good shows, so I don't know. I think it'd be pretty cool. Yeah, Mark, do you remember this movie? I do. I remember avoiding it. I'm not a huge sports uh, fan or skateboard uh, fan. Um, I've heard great things about it. I've just never gotten around to town to seeing it. But oh. I mean, it's they have great people that are uh, picking us up, and I totally um, agree with you, Jamie. You know, Amazon's been really getting some awesome stuff out there, mm -hmm. so I, I know it's going to be uh, amazing. Anyways, moving on to our next topic. Um, uh, Roku has acquired Quibi. Um, according to Variety, Roku has snapped up the rights to the majority of Quibi's multi-million dollar portfolio original programming, more than 75 shows in all, and will make them available to available free to stream in 2021 on the Roku channel. Following Quibi's decision last October to shut down after failing to attract a sustainable base of subscribers, Roku acquired Quibi Holdings LLC, the company that holds uh, Quibi's content distribution rights. Financial terms were not disclosed, with a source familiar with the situation saying that Roku is paying significantly less than $100 million for the Quibi library. Uh, Rob Holmes, Roku's vice president of programming, said in an interview, we do think that this deal represents a great value. Fundamentally, we do think that the brand has created high-quality content. Uh, Holmes told Variety, it's a great va value proposition for our users. We are pivoting Quibi's streaming video-on-demand uh, video model to an ad-supported model, and this type of new original co content is not usually available for free. Um, for Quibi, despite its quick flame-out... <laughs> quick play now uh the deal will help it will help it recoup the massive investment it made in original content it also will provide a high skill outlet for the shows after the quibi app went dark in december which includes several scripted and non-scripted series from Alexis Steven Spielberg the Russo brothers Idris Elba Kevin Hart Liam Hemsworth Anna Kendrick Nicole Richie Chrissy Teigen and Lena White um Roku is also picking up Quibi's seven-year licensing rights to the shows, Holmes said, under Quibi's deal with producers two years after the, their premiere. They have the right, the creators have the right to reassemble the episodes into movies for distribution on other platforms. Roku will launch the Quibi shows initially in the U.S., Canada, and the U.K., the regions where the Roku channel is currently available. However, when it will go live is unknown. So at least the shows have a home now. I mean, if you remember how many people they got attached to these Quibi shows like that's just a little fraction of the names they got so it 
like they Quibi tried they tried to get a lot of well-known people to kind of buy into their their streaming service um and stuff it's interesting that Roku's gonna let it be for free I didn't realize it was gonna be like a free that once they go live it's free and I guess it's gonna have ads on it which makes sense mm-hmm. so they still get something out of it but yeah I mean that's that's crazy to me I'm not surprised Quibi went down though because I feel like they didn't I don't know. There was something off. There, there, set up. There, there was a couple of things off about Quibi. It's, I don't know. I, I, I respect anything that's trying to be new in the market, but. Because mm-hmm. eh. it was all short form, right? It was like. It was short all short form. form and the way that they were filming, it was like, it had to be by your, um, vertical. I don't know how you guys watch your stuff, like on your phones, but I normally watch it vertical and it's a whole thing. And it's, um, it's, it's a whole thing, but yeah. Mark, uh, do, you, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, to a certain extent, you know, I, I didn't understand the Quibi platform either, but, you know, I'm, uh, you know, fairly a traditionalist. I like new things and new formats and stuff. Um, you know, watching stuff on the phone is probably the newest format there is. I watch mm-hmm. all my stuff horizontal if I can get it. Why do I keep my screen tilted vertically? I don't, I don't know. Let's get it sideways and we can watch stuff, but... Um, you know, I, I like to sit and, and I don't even play a lot of things on my computer. You know, it's got to be on my, my TV or I go see it in, in a, because it's about, it's about that experience, you know, mm-hmm. uh, 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 for me and being in the right kind of set of mind so I can sit there and concentrate. I know commuters sitting on the train in an elevator, catching something, going to the bathroom for seven minutes and watching a quick thing on Quibi that there's this, there seems to be this want in a public to just consume and consume and consume in any format you can get it but i guess this shows that that's not the case yeah it's was yeah. i have a question was quibi was tiktok a big thing when quibi was going live i think it might have been because i know that TikTok- because that would explain a lot because tiktok is a very short form and exploded so maybe quibi was wanting to jump on that train and have short Form. Yeah, but TikTok, you know, um, I, I'm not on was, any of this stuff. Were, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Jamie. Yeah. No, you're, you're okay. Yeah. I was just wondering about that. Yeah. I, there's There may be something in there, but I, I mean, my kids all watch, you know, stuff that's on TikTok and YouTube and stuff like this. And it's just like seeing other people do crazy, stupid shit or interesting shit. So I think mm-hmm. that's kind of a, from a programming point of view, how can you ever come up with a show that's going to be that kind of captivating versus versus seeing a person trying to wash their dog or do some kind of crazy dance move or pull mm-hmm. off a spin kick, you know, it's just like there's entertainment and watching people do stupid stuff. <laughs> yeah. I you know, know. I, or I interesting know. stuff, you know, um, you know, watch me as I peel paint off the wall, mm-hmm. you know, and this is my first time you're going, okay, well, I'm bored for this, you know, two minutes. So let's see it. Um, yeah. It's a whole nother model there you know mm-hmm. so yeah. good on them for trying something you know yeah. that's that's exciting yeah that is that, true definitely definitely although i do wonder if the pandemic didn't hit would it still have been a success that's another it, it probably, too. yeah that's a good good call it, it may have taken a lot longer i mean but there's so many streaming services you know person doesn't have and what i think is going to happen is people are going to uh, most of the people in the world do not have enough money to have multiple mm-hmm. streaming services so what they do is yeah. they'll roll them so they'll buy disney plus they'll watch all of the binge you know they'll binge uh uh you know that that's the mandalorian and then they'll drop it 
and then they'll pick up the next streaming service to binge the next thing and then they'll drop it and that's how they'll do it. So even the subscription model, there's enough people that, you know, could sustain that and they're jumping through way more hoops, right? Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting because nobody wants to watch commercials. I mean, or we're back to TV again, like when I was growing up, cable cable doesn't have commercials, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, They they commercialize for their own stuff, right? But you know and it comes on when they when when they have it on you know uh when it first came out but um yeah it's we're entering into a strange new world with all this stuff yeah most definitely and it's just it's getting interesting interesting day anyways moving on to our next topic yeah um so we got an exclusive from tv line that report that clancy brown best known for his role as takurgan in highlander captain hadley in shawshank redemption the voices of lex super on superman the animated series as well as justice league and mr krabs and spongebob squarepants um and its movies among other roles for which there are many will be joining um the cast of the forthcoming dexter revival on Showtime as a primary villain, the 10-episode revival will be set after the series finale. In 2013, Michael C. Hall reprising his role as Esther Morgan, as well as the showrunner for the show's first four seasons, Clyde Phillips, set to return as well. Brown will be playing the series' regular role of Kurt Cadwell, the unofficial mayor of the small town Iron Lake, according to his character description. Uh, Kurt realizes the American dream by going from big, driving big rigs, just like his father is, to now owning several trucks and the uh, local truck shop. Powerful, generous, loved by everyone, he he is a true man of the people. He's got if he's got your back, consider yourself blessed. But if you should cross Kurt or hurt anyone that he cares about, God help you. Okay, full disclosure, I've only seen like maybe just a little bit of Dexter, but I really the reason why I put this on for our for our show today, because um Clancy Brown's the Clancy Brown is just awesome. Just, yeah, I haven't seen Dexter, but this is pretty cool. That's awesome that he, he got a role in Dexter. I forgot that it was coming back too. So many things like getting revivals or like a new season or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's really cool. Yeah, I just, I, I uh, Mark, I'm just curious. Well, what was your first um, introduction to Clancy Brown? It was, uh, it was the Kurgan. It was Highlander. I remember watching it on cable. I never saw it in the theaters. Uh, um, but he, he was amazing. I mean, he was just a great actor. And then everything he was in after that, you would see him and go, it's the Kurgan again. I mean, it was such a powerful role and mm-hmm. so iconic, you know. Uh, and he's great in all those things. You know, mm-hmm. Shawshank Redemption, he's amazing. You know, his, his voices, when I discovered he was doing, you know, mm-hmm. animated voices for characters, that was, it was fantastic. Of course he is, you know, and he's been in House of Cards and just tons of other things. Starship Troopers, he's in there as a drill sergeant, which is great. You know, mm-hmm. um, he's just a fabulous actor uh, that can do a lot of different stuff, you know, and mm-hmm. he's amazing. Love yeah. this. Yeah, I, I I go back to the Kurgan as well. I knew, look, I've seen like, obviously like some of the uh, DC, an- DC animated series like Superman and Obviously, I watched SpongeBob SquarePants, but I didn't know who mm-hmm. he was until <laughs> I watched Highlander. And Highlander was like my first like full blown introduction to him. And just even though he has had many roles, including some roles that I love of him, the first thing I think of is to Kurgan. Yeah, just the Kurgan because it's just like just mm. now. And okay, now I'm having the Queen soundtrack from that movie stuck in my head. So it's just God, God damn it. Anyways, moving on to our next topic. On Sunday, Lucasfilm Publishing released a launch trailer for Star Wars The High Republic, a new story set before the events 
of the Skywalker Saga, described as an interconnected mega story that will span books, comics, and magazines. The High Republic is set at the um, height of the Jedi's power, way before the Skywalker family drove every story in the universe and during a time of unfamiliar faces. Uh, the new cast characters will be spread out across several mediums. The novel, Light the Jedi, by Charles Soule. The middle grade novel, A Test of Courage, by Justina Ireland. The YA novel, uh, Young Adult um, novel, Into the Dark, by Claudia Gray, and two comic books. Uh, Calvin Scott's The High Republic at Marvel and the Star Wars High Republic Adventures by Daniel Jose um, Older at IDW. The series will also act as a primer for the live Disney Plus live action series, The Acolyte, which is being developed by Lena Headley, who is the co-creator of Netflix's Russian Doll. The first of the series, uh, Souls, Light of the Jedi, Ireland's A Test of Courage, and Scott Slash Marvel's The High Republic are already out. I've actually started listening to Light of the Jedi on Audible, and it's so far, it's so far pretty good. Um, without giving anything away, it's very tension heavy, and it kind of feels like a disaster film. So I'm, I'm very curious about that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, wow, that's a lot. So this is set before the Skywalkers about, come in. Yeah, right? about about 100 to 200 years before phantom minutes last time i checked and i think like before phantom okay okay that's very interesting Mm -hmm. would this be considered like um i know a lot of people have been wanting like the old republic is this kind of in the same vein kind of it's set like in between like the um skywalker saga and the old republic so the old republic is like about a thousand years from what i've been able to gather and like this is set like at least like the smacked middle oh okay okay that's pretty cool though that'll be fun yeah um mark uh i'm curious have you heard about any of these novels or any, anything uh, I, like I, I have i have um i haven't been into reading them um i i have a love hate thing with everything that is extended universe stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah. you know star wars i mean this all comes out of star wars being a surprise hit that nobody knew about and everybody's scrambling to suddenly get out and have a plan about how to make this whole universe, you know, when it didn't go beyond that first movie, you know, uh, mm-hmm. originally. I mean, I remember when the Splinter of the Mind's Eye came out, I was still mm-hmm. in fourth grade and it mm-hmm. came out, you know, by by the winter. I'm all, what the hell is this? Did George write this? You know, was he involved? You know, what's going on here? What is this? You know, and he's Luke had a sister, you know, in it. And, you know, and then the books just kept going from there. So extended content. I mean, I was buying the comic books from Marvel after they did the first run of, of Star Wars at the movies. And you had all this stuff with this green rabbit and a bunch of other things. And then Empire happened. And it's like, well, that really doesn't line up and match. But is that real? You know, so we're in this real interesting thing with Star Wars here with a bunch of this content that people love. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to knock it um because I haven't, uh, I haven't read a bunch of it. My kids read some, um, but hey, it's Star Wars. It's a huge, huge universe, mm-hmm. you know. And and more Star Wars is is great. Mm-hmm. The thing that the thing that I, as a you know avid audience member, want mm-hmm. is I want thoughtfulness and planning put behind this so that it works together i mean i me and my brother uh with gendy tartakovsky me and my brother boarded the first star wars clone wars stuff, oh yeah the 2d I animated stuff. i remember that yeah. i used to watch that on my like little dvd player so uh, yeah 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 you know we got awards for that um and that was only you know an hour's worth of content there were only like you know 60 10 minute long pieces um and that kicked off the whole star wars clone wars 3d series you know with dave filoni who's gone mm-hmm. on and done rebels and everything else and is, you know mandalorian now so um 
but that was even when we were doing that it's like it was this expanded universe nobody really knew what to do with it and we we had fun being fans just keeping it uh, uh real for us you know and 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 expanding it in a different way so me and my brother actually wrote you know our own jedi you know origins of the jedi script you know that is two hundred thousand years in the past um mm. of of bringing this together which is our own take on it you know obviously mm -hmm. but uh yeah more star wars the better i just want mm -hmm. i guess i have more of a, a a religious sanctity about star wars i'm one of those <laughs> people and i just want it you know hey it's good but you can't just willy-nilly this stuff and put mm. different colored lights on it and come up with crazy characters. This mm. is this mm -hmm. is a beloved thing, yeah. you know? And, and just a little bit more respect and honor, you know, given to this stuff. But uh, the idea of a new Republic just thrills me to death. It's yeah. like, bring it, give me it. You know, what is yeah. that? Because it's going to go, it's going to fall and turn into the Empire, right? How did that happen? You know, yeah. so seeing yeah. the, the that go through that, life cycle is it's like seeing rome falling apart and going to the barbarians you know and us getting into feudal system so there's a lot of those a lot of those analogies that we can use you know yeah. just hopefully it's just done well with a lot of thought involved mm -hmm. yeah yeah most definitely and i'm i'm as i continue reading um light of the jedi i'll definitely keep you updated but uh, so far it's so far pretty good again i'm when it comes to me and star wars like my relationship is more i'm more of a casual fan like i love the right. movies I love Mandalorian. I've only been slowly starting to get into the other stuff. Like I just got into Rebels this year, which right. I completed, which I binge and I thought that was great. And just, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see, especially from a casual uh, fan's point of view, like how yeah. this will keep continuing. Uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Well, it's, it's interesting because I think it, it is its own brand, right? Mm -hmm. And people are exploring the G-rated Star Wars stuff, you know, which is Rebels and, and, and things like that. And we're in this PG kind of world, but I think there's a PG-13, there's an R-rated version of Star Wars out there. I mean, Marvel's been flirting with it. Um, they have Logan, which was R-rated. You know, DC's been doing it with Joker that's R-rated and, mm -hmm. you know, Deadpool over at Marvel. So I think it's it's a broad enough universe that mm -hmm. right now, you know, Disney and, and ILM could uh, develop things that are for everybody, different mm -hmm. aspects of this universe, because it is so vast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Playing this Star oh. Wars game. Uh, Playing the Star Wars game called um, is it Fallen Order? Can you oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, you Fallen finally you, you pretty, finally started it's playing that. Intense. There's definitely PG thirteen. Yeah. Yeah, which is great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I yeah. Yeah, because I, I, I got um the Game Pass on Xbox and they have it for free on the Game Pass and it and I've been playing a little bit of it and it's really like like the pg star wars it's not so it's pretty up. definitely room for that somewhere yeah and thinking about marvel and star wars this is mm -hmm. our last topic for the day according to sources deadline reports that michael waldron the showrunner for the upcoming disney plus show loki as well as the screenwriter behind san the sam raimi directed doctor strange in the multiverse of madness 
has inked a new deal with the Walt Disney Company in which he will be writing a new Star Wars film that will be produced and developed by Marvel Studios Overlord <laughs> slash head honcho Kevin Feige. In addition, mm-hmm. the, de- the deal confirms that there will be a season two of Loki and that Waldron will be coming back as showrunner. So, um, okay, when it came to that first Loki trailer, I, <laughs> I was a bit hesitant on it because here's the thing. When it came to that character, I thought we had a really nice ending with him in like Infinity War slash Infinity War. And then when the whole thing happened in, it's like oh okay i don't know how to feel about this and i keep on i love hiddleston i love hiddleston i'm very much curious and a little bit excited about the show because of like certain casting choices like owen wilson coming in but i didn't know how i feel about it and but knowing that he's going to be also writing the sam raimi's doctor strange and the multiverse of madness is going to be very interesting and now he's writing a summer song for kevin feige which i remember hearing about like a while ago and i didn't know if anything would come come to it but i guess now he's going to be writing it i'm still I can't find you doing a Star Wars movie. I'm just, I, I'm still shocked that that's even a thing. Yeah, it's amazing. That's great. It's going to be super, super exciting to see mm. what his, what his thumbprint on the Star Wars is going to be. I mean, you see him making all these great choices already. He's got a great team over there, at Marvel, as they talk through this stuff, you know, uh, uh, in great, great, great details, you know, and and that's what you need. You need the the right kind of nerd. <laughs> run in the studio that has an appreciation of love for this and and you know has you know great ideas and surrounds himself with great people that also come up with great ideas you know you haven't seen him do do much wrong or any faults you know at Mm -hmm. all it's all been working and clicking and Mm -hmm. um you know and i think you know they're Getting, getting these great people attached or just pushing that envelopes to see how where so they never rest. I think mm-hmm. that's 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 the threat for any studio and any kind of franchise mm-hmm. is you see, you know, not that anybody's lazy on purpose, but mm-hmm. they're not challenging themselves, you know, um, and challenging what they've done uh, uh, and, and going a little harder, or a little extreme or doing a little bit more of a tweak on stuff mm-hmm. um, to keep it fresh and to keep it, the, the variety coming. You know, um, so this is this is really uh, going to be uh, fun. Getting mm-hmm. all the all those pieces working together, it's going to be. Uh, exci- I'm excited about all these new shows that are coming out of Marvel. You know, mm-hmm. and and the Star Wars shows that are be coming out through Disney Plus. Uh, yeah. It's going to be really exciting to see. Um, you know how this all comes together and works. So, yeah, I love that trailer of Loki and. Yeah, oh, no. that trailer was awesome. It was, it was yeah, like, no. oh, I get it. I get yeah, it. He's, I, he's the reason all these great heists happen through the ages. It's like, but why does Loki want to steal anything? So I love those two kind of ideas smashing together. There's going to be a bigger thing that we're not seeing. If I know the Marvel folks, you I, know, that's just, it's not that superficial, right? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm leaning towards that. That's the reason why I'm like, even though I wasn't like the biggest like fan of the trailer, I was like, okay, I, I, I see where you're giving it, Kevin. Again, the way I kind of see Kevin Feige is that he's essentially the fan of some like the entire MCU where he's like in like his like little hovering chair and be like... <laughs> And be like, I, I'm, I know when I, I am inevitable. Yeah. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I'm, I'm excited about this. And uh, good job for um, Michael Waldron and stuff. Anyways, so now we are on our recommendations portion of the show. Where, um, so I have two recommendations. One's a show and one's a movie. Um, so I just started watching The Owl House on Disney Plus, and I love it. For those that are unfamiliar, the show follows Let's play voiced by Sarah Nicole Robes, a teenager with an overactive, yeah, 
overactive imagination who winds up in a mysterious world where she trains with Edda, voiced by Wendy Mackey, who, fun fact, voiced Beatrice on Bojack Horseman and was John Goodman's wife in The Emperor's New Groove to become a witch. Uh, the show was created by Dana Terrence, who worked on Gravity Falls, and is actually married to its creator, Alex Hirsch, who voiced the adorable and hilarious king on the show. I'm only about, I think, five episodes in. Uh, five episodes in. I know it's supposed to be receiving a season two sometime soon, so I'm catching up on it. But yeah, no, I really do dig this show. It is hilarious. It is funny. It's also very smart and subversive. And also... Low key, it's kind of a dig at Harry Potter and a bunch oh, of other really? fantasy. Uh, kind of is, is kind of is, and apparently from what I've been told, that's gonna continue on. So I'm very curious about, uh, about this. But yeah, no, I do recommend it if you guys um, have Disney Plus and stuff. And last night for the film, I watched uh, an indie film known as um, 12 Hour Shift. This was written and directed by Bria Grant. The film follows a nurse played by Angela Bitsy. As she and her cousin played by Coley Farnsworth must try and find a re uh, replacement kidney for an organ trafficker. The film also has David Arquette as a serial killer. Um, for a low budget, and I don't know how much the budget was on this, but I imagine it was very, very low. Uh, for a low budget film, I found this movie kind of kooky and funny. Uh, Betsy's and Farmers were great as the leads and Grant's script uh, felt was natural but yet surprisingly funny. My only one complaint about the movie was that Arquette was kind of underutilized as a serial killer. I, I kind of wish I saw more of him. Oh, overall, I enjoyed it and I do recommend you check it out. The film is available on Amazon for purchase. Um, Mark, you said earlier that you have some recommendations? Yeah, me and my family, we've we've been uh, Cobra Kai fans. Uh, we came to it a little, le a little late and so picked up you know season one after season two was over um, um but we watched right through season one and two and been waiting patiently for season three so we heard it was coming out um this january was going to drop we were on it we were so excited and we've already gone through <laughs> season three and it it delivers you know mm -hmm. it's it's you know, it's got some cheese every once in a while, you know, um, but I think the messages and the themes that they're using in there is great. And, and it just kind of goes back to that 80s machismo and re looks at it and kind of this day and age and what's, what's, what's positive about it, and what's negative about it, right. Mm -hmm. And, and that there's two sides to every story, you know, that a bully has their side too, of how they become a bully and that people can change. So it, it's a really positive fun uh show um to watch the other show i would recommend uh is watching the bbc's three musketeers again three seasons worth um a new telling of it uh fantastic acting great action scenes um getting into these uh you know the three musketeers you know uh you know from the stories in d'artagnan done really well some great actors um over there in in britain doing this stuff um just an exciting show really really fun uh, uh so me and my family we've loved it uh i'm a huge period fan if it has fighting in it so witcher you know game of thrones i mean any of that stuff that has sword fighting and action in it you know i'm, I'm gonna be watching it but this is this was really uh, uh fabulous to to do it and then um yeah bridgerton was uh we discovered that I, I, I like my Jane Austen novels, you know, I like my Sense and Sensibility and Emma's and, and Downton Abbey was fantastic. So this is that, you know, um, uh, King Georgian, you know, era, uh, you know, big dresses and wigs and, and hats and, you know, you go out on your horse to talk to the ladies and parade around and uh, it's really 
awesome. It has a, a uh, Shonda Rhimes is behind it. I mean, just fantastic cast, mm-hmm. great writing. I mean, really, if you like the sex scenes, you know, yeah, they've got a bunch of nudity and sex scenes in here, which you don't usually find with these types of period <laughs> films, but it puts another modern kind of spin on it where you get behind how these this society was really repressed and where they let it loose. So, um, which gives it a different heightened feel, but just amazing, fantastic production value. I recommend it. If you got, if anybody's in between shows, this is a great one to gobble up while you wait yeah. for the next one. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm, I've been waiting to hear a review and I'm, I'm low key. I'm like thinking I'm probably going to watch this soon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Um, so this does it for our main show. Now we will be transitioning into a interview portion. So interview portion. So anyways, so, okay. First off for those that are just going to, are just here for the news. Thank you, Mark, for appearing on our, our channel. And now my we, pleasure. And now we will be entering the interview portion so yeah yep. all right so now we are in the interview portion and so we have some questions uh the first two will be conducted uh, the first two questions are will be from jamie and then the rest are kind of mine so take it away jamie okay my first question um is what got you into screenwriting and into like directing and everything like that did you always have a passion for it as when you were younger or was that something you found when you were later in life um I, I try my hand, you know, I've been drawing my whole life. So, uh, you know, my first thing to writing just came out of doing my own comic books. And so that's yeah. writing. And I had that dialogue in the characters' mouths. And, and um, I was not a super strong reader growing up. Um, I read really slow. So a lot of novels and things, um, I, I just wasn't as uh, rabid as my children are. A lot of my friends were. So I, I came at that very slowly. But I tried my hand at writing my own, you know, scenes, starting half novels or you know just writing you know through my teenager years that went along with drawings it wasn't until after i got out of cal arts and got my first job in the industry um Mm -hmm. at warner brothers uh on quest for camelot where i really got to deal with writers and 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 scripts um i actually worked on the uh, new adventures of johnny quest before that and i had there was a really great showrunners on that peter lawrence and takashi um Mm-hmm. Uh, just a single name, Takashi, a uh, Japanese um, artist who designed the whole show. is just amazing. And Peter Lawrence um, was this, you know, uh, English kind of writer. You know, uh, I keep picturing him out on, on lion safari in Africa kind of mm-hmm. fellow. But he was an amazing writer. His scripts on, on, on these half hour shows were solid. And I wrote a couple of my own for that, just kind of him as a, a, you know, a mentor. And so that's what kind of really just sparked that in me. I've been visual storytelling, you know, my whole life. There's that aspect, but you know, in this industry, you need the script, right? You need that story. That's that first, first kind of, uh, uh, like your skeleton, right? Right. Right. That's the first gate that you have to go through for them to even consider it. So when I was at Warner brothers, I was, coming up with my own ideas and developing, you know, movies one day I might give to the executives to look at or whatnot. So it really didn't come into fruition until I started actually writing on John Carter. Um, um, And then I was writing alongside with Andrew Stanton. So that was a great uh, learning process. Then I've, you know, been writing ever since, you know, Brave, you know, Mm -hmm. and on and and my own things I was developing at Pixar before I left. And now, you know, all the stuff that I've developed on the side, live action scripts, everything. So that's really cool. Um, My second question is, um, do you have any advice or any kind of like, any kind of advice, anything like that um, to people who are wanting to get into the industry, whether it is um, like uh, writing or animation or anything like that? 
Yeah, you 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 have to just do it, right? Um, yeah. um, don't worry about if it's good or not because if you're first starting out, it's not. <laughs> but yeah. but getting to be good and and forming your own opinion and having your own style is years and years and years of cultivating that stuff. You know, I've been working ever since I got out of school back in 1993, you know, so we're talking almost 30 years of, of working. So I'm working for the man, you know, essentially studios Mm -hmm. uh, applying my skills to do other great content you know i worked on the first ever spider-man with sam raimi and that was a fantastic time with sam as my mentor and storyboarding for him you know storyboarding you know 50 percent of that movie working for brad bird iron giant on through incredibles and stuff and working with him um so that you 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 can't working for somebody else and seeing how they're doing it is like being in school and studying right so you see yeah. how they handle things. And I think that work experience in the entertainment industry, even if you're not an artist, you know, if you're going in and you're working at a studio as a PA or a reader or something and working your way up, you get a glance and you're seeing stuff, you know, you get and exposed. you get exposed. And I think that that is a great teacher. And then the next, you know, teachable thing is you just got to do it on your own. You got to write something, draw it, show it to your mm-hmm. friends, get their feedback, go back and do it again. And, and there's no silver bullet. You know, I think a lot of people look for the silver bullet and pay a lot of money to go learn from folks. And it's like, they're not going to tell you the silver bullet. The silver bullet is just hard work. And then it's a lucky break, unfortunately, right? It's who you know, or right yeah. place at the right time. And that's all there is to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, thank but you. You, you're not going to get anywhere if you don't start trying and doing it. And I do it because I love doing it. I love drawing and mm-hmm. I love writing. So I'm never going to stop doing it. If this stuff never sees the light of day, it, it doesn't matter. It's my, it's my escape, right? It's what mm-hmm. I am thinking in my head that I'm putting down and craft in some form to share to somebody, you know, uh, at some point. And so that's, that's what really gets me out of bed in the morning is making these things kind of a reality, not all the way that'll be a big, huge film or series or something like that, you know, but just it's out of me. Yeah. Right. It's, it's been done. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, moving on to uh, our, my next question. As speaking of animation, do you consider yourself more as an animator? Because especially given that you dabbled in both fields yeah. as an animator or as a screenwriter? Neither. Uh, I'm just a storyteller. I'm a visual storyteller. So it doesn't matter whether I'm doing TV features, live action, animation. It doesn't matter. All the, all the craft that I know how to tell a story, uh, they're tied hand in hand from just telling a story to visually telling a story. Both of those things go together. Um, um, and so, you know, whether I'm doing a comic book, you know, a novel, uh, developing a series or something that's going to be a, a film you know mm-hmm. smaller or blockbuster it's the same tools i use all the time so mm-hmm. uh i'm i'm incredibly fortunate to have come up through comics and animation field to really develop uh, uh my visual chops and then mm-hmm. to be have able to work in live action uh in in both ways you know as a storyboard artist um you know for sam and and then on, on John Carter shooting it myself um, was really uh, uh, awesome because I, I can see that there's correlations between both of these, you know, media. And it really mm-hmm. doesn't, it, 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 the thing that matters is that you know how to tell a story and you understand visual language and how that's going to support your story. Then you could work in either or. I mean, S- Steven Spielberg doing uh, Tintin, 
mm. was amazing to watch because he comes from live action where there's limitations in what you could do with the camera and the animation. There are no limitations. And seeing how controlled he was and the things that I, I finally understood, this is what he's been trying to do the whole time in live action, that the limitation has stopped him. Once he was in animation, all of a sudden he could do those things that he could do. And Robert Zemeckis is the same way. You know, you may have... Mm questions or concerns about you know polar express and beowulf and and uh, a christmas carol uh but you know he's a live action director that was fighting the limitations of the physicality the real world and live action doing amazing stuff that once he got to animation he could do whatever he wanted you know mm -hmm. and you see that out of peter jackson too the way he does mm -hmm. special effects right mm -hmm. um he's using uh the limitations get taken away you know uh uh, James Cameron, Avatar is an animated movie without a doubt, animated movie. It's not a live action movie. You know, um, he may shoot it all in live action once and then go back and do it all in CG, but it's a CG movie. And you can see these directors and these storytellers, once the limitations, the limiters are off the engine, you know, what they're able to do, but they're not going freaking bonkers. It's very controlled and focused and disciplined, you know? So, so I'm in that same kind of boat, right? Um, it's visual storytelling, you know? Yes. Yeah, that definitely. And I just, you know, hearing about that is just also just interesting as well, especially just as a storyteller, like you don't limit yourself or anything like that. You just like, whenever it comes to a project, you know, you try to, um, you you you're for you're focused on the story itself and this actually leads me to an next question about projects has there ever been a project that resulted as a success but you felt like you didn't do your best job with it um how do you measure like the success of maybe that project or maybe just success in general whether it be monetary or otherwise yeah that's a great um i worked on flops you know iron giant was a flop uh john carter supposedly was a flop though the mathematics of 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 how much money it made proved otherwise um but nobody went out and saw it because of marketing and the, you know, the, the weirdness that was happening at Disney at the time. Um, it's one of the most popular things. I'm just going to toot the horn. You know, it's the one of the most popular things on Netflix, you know, uh, that you can get. So it's, it's rose right up because people can now see it and, and they all say the same thing. What was it? Why, why did people see this? this is great. But anyway, um, that's a great question. Uh, and I think the answer is no, I always put in a hundred, 150% on whatever I'm working on. If it flops, it doesn't matter. I'm not getting, a, I'm not getting a recommendation based off of how well my movie did mm -hmm. <laughs> that I worked on. I'm getting a recommendation off how well I did as a contributor on that movie. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So when somebody calls up in my storyboarding days and say, I'm looking for a storyboard artist, who do you got? They go, get, you get Mark Andrews. He's a workhorse. He does amazing work and da, da, da. Da, da, da. and I, you get hired that those doors is open mm -hmm. so i think that's in anything that you do it's it's you put in your 110 150 percent you're building your reputation as uh, an employee or as an mm -hmm. artist or as a writer or you know um and that's what gets you those next jobs not the movie you're on everybody's gonna work on a, a shit sandwich i call them you know and uh uh, it ha it happens, you know, because there are things outside your control, you know. Um, I worked on Quest for Camelot. That thing was a shit show from the get-go. Osmosis Jones was a shit show from the get-go. But that wasn't stopping me from pouring in everything I had to make it, uh, you know, as good as it, it can be. You know, and then there's stuff out, outside my hands. I mean, there's 
you know, when you get up to be, you know, a director, now I have budget to consider. I have the, the schedule to consider. I have things that are working against you, but that's when you have to be super inventive. And sometimes things like Iron Giant that are really good get out mm-hmm. and don't make a fucking dime. There's a lot of movies like that. You're going, why didn't this make any money? You know, Spider-Verse didn't make a crap ton of money, you know, um, mm-hmm. but was an amazing, amazing film. Why, yeah. why, why didn't it? Um, but so, yeah, so th- that would be my answer. There's no, uh, my performance on a particular project is never uh, uh, mm-hmm. tied to, <laughs> or I don't feel, you know, uh, bad if it, if it flops you know I did good work and I can look back on those things with some pride yeah as, yeah especially like when you like comes to just um you know factors that say your control and you know not being limited to it um I one of the factors that you know happens for a lot of writers and stuff is that you get notes uh-huh. what was the worst note that you ever got on a project that's an interesting question um notes are an interesting thing because i think a lot of people don't know how to give notes and just because they're in a position to give notes they -hmm. feel they have to give a note right Mm -hmm. um and sometimes they don't know what they're really poking at um Mm -hmm. and i watch brad go through the process of getting notes and sam go through the process of getting notes um and it's and it's been a really you know interesting trajectory because you give notes you get reactions all the mm-hmm. time and reactions are good. Mm-hmm. You don't have to always follow those those reactions. Um, you have to address it in one way or another by saying I hear you, but that's not where I'm necessarily going. And me and Brad would get into big discussions um, just on sequences and stuff on on Incredibles and Ratatouille, so I can understand what he was trying to do right? Mm -hmm. So there's that. There's the interpretation of what the director is trying to get across. Mm -hmm. And it's their movie, right? So Mm -hmm. you want to be able to help them, not just say it sucks. And most people go, ah, this isn't good. I don't like it. And that's too easy. That's not Mm -hmm. giving a note. Um, Giving a note is, I didn't get this. Here's a suggestion. Or I didn't get this. Mm -hmm. I felt like you were doing this. Is that where you were going? And if Mm -hmm. so, maybe you need to do this, you know, uh, uh, to get there. And it opens a dialogue. A note should open the dialogue, right? Mm-hmm. Of, of if, is there a problem um, or it's a clarity issue? Do you understand what's going on? Because that just may be the note. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't understand the tone of this part of this piece or I'm confused about this information. Um, and you'd be more constructive with it. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, I've gotten crazy ass notes and and i don't hold on to those in my memory banks you know but there's been there's been crazy uh notes that are you know sometimes they feel like they're out of the blue you know it's like what what happened outside my purview in some other office that was a conversation that i'm suddenly getting this right is there pressure coming from something because a lot of the things when i was working at pixar it's it's the notes have to do with the brand of Pixar itself, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 that's a big deal. Of and I'm I'm the kind of person who always pushes the envelope, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the brand, and we've had talks about you know brand and what is Pixar, you know, um, what is the message of this movie, you know, and, and kind of a, a you know a different venue, but you know, it's, it's, what do you want the audience to say? Do you want the audience to say, I go to these movies because I know it's going to be a good tearjerker and that's it. Mm. That's pretty limiting versus it doesn't matter what it is. If it's about cars, if it's about superheroes, if it's about feelings, if it's about a bunch of toys, if it's about uh, uh, an old man on an adventure with this crazy, you know, boy scout, or if it's about a rat who knows how to cook, it's like, I don't know what's coming out of that place, but I know I'm going to be entertained. 
Mm-hmm. And that is a much more broader kind of sense for, for a brand. I mean, Disney has their brand. They definitely do, which is not the Marvel brand, which is not the ILM brand. And, and I know that there's probably discussions about those kind of sensibilities happening in those hall hallways mm-hmm. right of what is a marvel movie versus it's on disney plus and people are going to disney plus because they expect family wholesome not dangerous i mean just look at mandalorian you know it's it's fairly tame you know mm-hmm. uh, about uh, this bounty hunter which is that's dirty work right mm-hmm. could they have mm-hmm. pushed it more yes is it on brand totally you know mm-hmm. um or it's writing that line really tight and mm-hmm. And uh, those are those are notes that come, uh, you know. That there's there's so many things to consider, so many pressures that are on, you know, your 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 show or your movie um, that uh, uh, test the ideas that you have in it. And mm. some of them are arbitrary, mm. and and some of them are right on the money, and some of them are completely pointless. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. So that's super interesting. Yeah. How like it could be either really broad or or like that's just very interesting. Because we're finding it. I mean, this is a story is a, is, is a malleable thing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I have a phrase I use all the time. The proof is in the pudding. We can talk story theory all we want. You can read mm-hmm. all the books about crafting a story, writing a script all you want, mm-hmm. but none of it really matters. You have to just write it and do it and look at it and react to it. And that reaction, that's the truth. Did it work yeah. or didn't it? In the time that you were given and the constraints, do you get it or do you not? And now we can go from there, right? Oh, okay. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And to final and to um, end on our, because we are at our last question, unfortunately. Gotcha. And I have been enjoying this thing about notes and branding and all that, all yeah. that jazz. Um, this is a, kind of been an inside joke between you and me. Um, you and me. And but and you also kind of hinted at this earlier. What the fuck happened on Osmosis Jones? Uh, lots of craziness happened on Osmosis Jones. I think there were a lot of um. Uh, where the idea came from, why it was animated, um, the Farley brothers coming on to direct the live action portions, um, uh, uh, you know, the executives uh, that kind of brought the project to Warner Brothers, uh, what we mm-hmm. were doing in animation, the directors on it, um, you know, from animation. I, I mean, it was a cacophony of different ideas and different opinions. And when you have live action directors that see it one way and animation directors that see it another way, um, there wasn't a purity to the story. Um, uh, it was all over the place. And it was, again, it was one of those projects that I worked on a bunch of these that are like this, where there's, there's an interesting idea in there that everybody loves, but then you have different cooks amassed as a team to, to get it you know, down the field to make a touchdown and they can't be on the same page. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. ultimately uh, uh, you know, what was happening uh, with it yeah because i just i had always been curious like especially when we when you hinted it'd be like okay what the hell happened on social shows because it seemed like yeah and i watched that movie as a kid and it just was always Mm -hmm. weird and ah jesus christ that's what it it always i always would remember it because i remember i think we even watched it in class one day for some reason (laughs) i don't know why i don't remember what class it was but it i always remember it in the back of my head because i always thought that it stuck out to me at least i was like what is this movie um, but yeah, I, I still vaguely remember that movie. Yeah, from- no, it's it, it was a weird one. There's a there's a lot of things I worked at that have have been weird and have been, you know, buffeted by things you know outside your control, and you're just going, hey, I'm just trying to you know 
help tell the story here. This is, yeah. this is an amazing ride, you know, that we're on all of a sudden, you know, I mean, Warner brothers was in a big transition period. I didn't think they ever landed. I mean, from quest for Camelot, which was a flop to iron giant, Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. that was suddenly a flop because they took all the advertising money and put it on wild wild west with will smith you know and and then they come back and you know are we going to close the studio or are we going to not hey here's this interesting film that has interest that can play is a hybrid it's both live action and animation we're going to cut between oh my gosh yeah that that's you know and then after that they didn't do much they kind of closed shop they did space jam at the same time we were feathered in to that after uh, osmosis jones Mm. Um, or even after Giant into Space Jam and Osmosis Jones at the same time. So it was winding down, you know, they didn't have mm-hmm. a big hit. So uh, there was a lot of things, I think, under the hood uh, at that studio that was happening, um, different pressures and things uh, that yeah. were working on it that, man, you have to have a stable base mm. <laughs> to be a studio to do anything, you know, so you don't have to worry about this other stuff because your 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 orders during the day change mm-hmm. you know and it's like what direction are we going now we're not going up the hill anymore where are we going we're going to cross the river okay let's cross mm-hmm. the river no we're going back to the woods back to the you know and it's a weird analogy but that's exactly what happens you know mm-hmm. you don't you don't have uh, a stable base so where you're given your space because making a movie is hard enough mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah especially, and to yeah. make it good is hard enough if you don't have to worry about you know, what's going on with the overall studio and the machinations, mm-hmm. you know, between those big yeah. halls up there, you know, the marbled halls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And especially if you don't have like a solid base. And now I'm just, now I'm just thinking about Bra- the whole Brave situation. Yeah. And how, th- and how that, and I know, and well, that was my last question. I'm kind of now curious. I kind of want to ask this. Sure. Which was more of a rel- of a rather, as you quote, shit sandwich R- working on, well, I know with Brave, you got the Oscars and stuff, but was it working on the production for Brave because of the whole director change or was it working on um, Osmosis Jones? I think Osmosis Jones uh, and even Quest for Camelot to a certain extent were were more crazy. Brave was pretty much straightforward. I had, me and Brad had done done uh, an 18 month schedule to turn a film around on Ratatouille. That mm-hmm. was a director change. It's, in fact, I think, you know, all the directors at Pixar, it's, a, it's over a, it's, I think it's a 60% turnaround rate um, mm-hmm. right now. Wow. And this is something that happens in Hollywood all the time, you know, between directors start and drop things. I mean, you know, George Lucas was supposed to do Apocalypse Now. And then went to somebody yeah. else before it even went to, you know, you know, uh, uh, his name just, so I had Francis it, Ford right? Coppola. Francis Ford Coppola, that's it. I, um, I, I only know that because I just recently got a copy of the movie. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Fran, you know, Francis, before he took that on. So it happens all the time. You know, writers will tell you, you know, they're, you know, out there in Hollywood a dime a dozen. You know, they get swapped all the time. Um, you know, uh, supervisors get swapped all the time. So it happens because this is a creative event and you're trying to get the right crew and, mm-hmm. You know, um, the the experience uh, and and the personality may not quite match. So it, it happens mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. So Brave was pretty much straightforward. It's, it, you know, they asked me to come on. I had 18 months. I had want, They wanted to turn around. Um, they had things that they liked about it, the tent poles in the story that I had to, that I had to keep mm-hmm. um, and incorporate. But then coming in and kind of rewriting the, the thing off of Brenda's, you know, amazing uh, premise, 
right? Mm -hmm. Of this mm -hmm. parent-child relationship and mm -hmm. how it's about that respect and learning, you know, mm -hmm. and yeah. and the pressures from both sides. So taking that working magic into fucking it up, it's, it's mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the same themes that are happening in Cobra Kai, you know, all the time. Yeah. Um, um, this is a challenging part of a child's life when they're turning into an adult and they want to be treated like an adult, but- Most definitely they're not they don't have a frontal lobe so they can't act like an adult all the time you know so it's a great lesson um but coming on to that show and it's you know i'm a go-getter i come out of the tv we were turning stuff around you know in you know four to eight weeks and you're done with that episode and you're moving on to the next one so thinking fast weaving together all these ideas it's what i've been doing my entire life so we got it done and you know, 18 months and, you know, we got the Academy Award, which is great mm -hmm. for the studio mm -hmm. and, and for that kind of, uh, you know, for that kind of film, because it was very different, you know, for Pixar and, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're off and running, you know, I could, I could do it again, but that wasn't as much as, uh, you know, kind of the craziness as some of the early Warner Brothers days were. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah definitely. And I just, again, um, yeah, no, I was just very curious about that because it was just, I was just, I was just thinking about the two sides, but yeah, so that will do it for us this episode. Awesome. Uh, Thanks, gang. Th th thank you so much, Mark. I really do appreciate yeah. you coming Gosh, on. Thank you so Jamie, much for coming. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Thank you for coming on. You've got some great insight. It's great talking with you. Mm -hmm. Great sure. talking with you guys. And and I love hearing all that news. This is... <laughs> I, I'm not yeah. following the trades that close. So it's it's great. It's great. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Thanks for you guys' opinions. It's awesome. But yeah, thank, again, thank you um, so much. I really do appreciate it. And you can close us out, Jamie. Okay, great. So guys, um, also please give us a follow on social media. We're on Twitter at Convo with Two Geeks. That's with the number two. We're on Instagram and Facebook at Conversation with Two Geeks, but all the way out. And if you feel like shooting us an email at Conversation with Two Geeks at gmail.com. Um, if you have anything that we want to talk about that we said on this episode or any of our past episodes. And we will leave a link to our Anchor homepage that has links to all of these in the show notes. All right. Have a lovely weekend, everyone. And we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.